Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you were to rank the top theological movies of all time, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid probably isn't going to rank very highly up in that list. As enjoyable as that classic movie is, there aren't too many deep and reflective moments to consider. However, there is one line from the movie, from the famous chase scene in the movie, that came to mind as I was preparing my sermon this week. So the characters Butch and Sundance, Paul Newman and uh, Robert Redford, they're fleeing from a group of pursuers after they've held up a train. And, and no matter what they do, they can't seem to shake this, this group of, of guys chasing after them. They wade upstream in the rapids. They send off their horses in one direction while they go in another. They clamber over uh, rocks barefoot, leaving no trace. And yet... Each time, Butch and Sundance think that they've finally lost their pursuers, they look back and see that they're still hot on their trail. And so over and over, they turn to one another in, in disbelief, and they ask the question to each other, who are those guys? Well, that's the phrase that came to mind this week, when a very similar question gets asked of Jesus in our gospel reading today. Jesus is there with the crowd of Jewish people. And remember, Jesus had been healing the sick and casting out demons and performing miracles. And, and what's more, he has been teaching the crowd, sharing with them where he comes from and who it was that, that sent him. And so the people are shocked and, and some even offended. And they want to know, who is this guy? They asked Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? And so that's an incredibly necessary question for us to ask. Who is Jesus? It's the Jesus question. And it's a question that actually gets asked all throughout his ministry, as we see in the Gospels. Think, for instance, of the disciples trembling and soaking wet in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They had seen with their own eyes and, and heard with their own ears Jesus calm a storm with only a word. And so they ask, who is this guy? What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The question was even more perplexing for those who thought they knew Jesus because they had known him from a very young age from his hometown in Nazareth. And, and it led them to take offense against him because what they were seeing and hearing just did not fit with their preconceived notions of Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son, they asked? Isn't his mother called Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? Who is this guy? John the Baptist had pointed people to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world, whose sandal Jesus, excuse me, sandals John was not worthy to untie. And yet, even when John was imprisoned, even he sent word to Jesus, asking him, Who are you? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? 
In fact, even Jesus himself poses the Jesus question to his disciples. He asks them, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then he asks them directly immediately after that, well, who do you say that I am? And that's what the people in the crowd from John chapter 8 were asking Jesus that day. Who are you? But what's unique about today's gospel is that Jesus today provides an answer. And that's why this gospel reading falls to us on Holy Trinity Sunday because of what Jesus says. You see, today we're confessing some phenomenal things about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, things that have stood the test of time, taught by the Word of God, and defended through the ages against those who would try to teach something different. And and what we've said today so far from the Athanasian Creed is a wonderful and mysterious and glorious confession of God. There is one more part of the Athanasian Creed that we will confess right after the sermon today, and you'll notice that it will be all about Jesus. And that's the point today. The church's confession of the Trinity hinges upon what we say about Jesus. The Jews that day weren't arguing with Jesus about who the Father is or even the Holy Spirit. The heresies throughout church history don't usually center on the first or the third person of the Trinity. Everything hinges upon Jesus, who he is. But the Jews that day could not accept the answer that Jesus was providing. Jesus told them, my Father, the one you call God, he glorifies me. But you don't know him, and I do. And your father Abraham that you're always talking about, I know him too. In fact, his faith was in me. He was looking forward to the day when I would arrive. He saw that day by faith, and he was glad. They responded, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Which may sound like a strange sentence to us at first until we realize that I am is the name of God from the Old Testament. The name revealed to Moses at the burning bush. The name that at this point in history wasn't even spoken by the Jews because of its holiness. Jesus is claiming to be the God of Israel and the God of all creation. Well, that was too much for them to bear. They had already accused Jesus of being a Samaritan and possessed by a demon. But this, this was going too far. And so they responded in the only way that they knew how. Not with words, but with stones. We generally, we generally look down upon the religious leaders and the people of that day who refused to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. And to be sure, rejecting Jesus for who he is is ultimately sinful and condemnable. But their reaction, I would argue, makes a whole lot more sense than the reaction of so many people in our world today. You see, for the Jews... They took what Jesus was saying quite seriously, the answer that he was providing, and because of that, they determined that he was either a lunatic with a blasphemous God complex, 
or he was demon-possessed. And either way, he deserved to die. They missed, of course, the third option, which was that Jesus was telling the truth, that he is the Son of God from all eternity. But that's why I say their reaction makes a whole lot more sense than people's reaction in our world today. Because when you consider all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did, you have to conclude that he is either a lunatic or he is of the devil or he is exactly who he says he is. But most people in our society today, they don't engage in that choice. Most people are content not making any decision about Jesus, but so many people have decided to make him instead anything that they want him to be. They say, for instance, that, oh, well, Jesus is is helpful to me. He is a good moral teacher, that his teachings on love and sacrifice, they are inspiring But if you ask them if Jesus is God, well, they might not go that far. But you have to ask then, what do they do with passages like our gospel reading today? This is what C.S. Lewis is addressing in his book, Mere Christianity. Lewis writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the, the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus which is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something far worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this man being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You see, there are only a few options when it comes to answering the Jesus question. And reading through the Gospels, you realize that the first two he addresses. And they aren't really options at all. But to then go on to just give a patronizing nod to Jesus, as Lewis says, and then carry on with your life living as if he doesn't matter at all, well, that just doesn't compute. It's illogical. And yet this is so often what we see with people today. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we truly look within ourselves and our own lives, it may even be what we see with ourselves as well. This Trinity Sunday, we confess the truth about who Jesus is with our words, but do our actions confess the same? In other words, if we say that Jesus is Lord and we do, do we live like it? Do we live like it when we put ourselves first and him second? 
Do we live like it when we treat others less than ourselves, when we sin in thought, word, and deed? Do we live like it when we fail to take his presence in our worship more seriously, when we fail to realize our daily need for him, and instead we constantly are choosing our own wisdom and strength? Do we live like it when we slip into the comfortable habits of allowing times and opportunities to be in prayer and in his word and in worship to just pass us by, acting as if they don't matter? We may know the right answer to the Jesus question, but do our lives reflect it? If we're willing to be honest with ourselves, then the answer is obviously no, they don't. Not always. And they won't, at least not because of us. But you see, that is why Jesus came. Not only to show us who he is, but what he has come to do for us. He didn't arrive because we were doing such a good job on our own or because he saw all of his people living in faithful ways before he arrived. No, Jesus came to live the life that we were not capable of. To die the death that we deserved to be raised again so that we might receive the hope of eternal life. You see, we aren't Christians because we live good enough lives. And we also aren't Christians because we have all the right knowledge and the perfect creeds and can answer the Jesus question correctly. No, we are Christians because Jesus has made us his own by his death and resurrection. We are Christians because we have been given all things by the one who has given up everything for us. We are Christians not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And when this is true, and it is, then our lives can't help but be changed. Our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, is celebrating its 175th anniversary this year. And the theme for our Synod this year is Only Jesus. We recognize that for the past 175 years in this country, there is nothing more important than the answer to the question, Who is Jesus? And that because of him, in the Missouri Synod, we are always seeking to faithfully confess him in all circumstances, as well as to seek out every opportunity we can to make his name known. And that's why this will also be our own church's theme for this coming year, our fiscal year starting in July. It's only Jesus. It's because today reminds us how important it is now and in the days and years ahead to remember, to always remember that it's always about him. I'm not a prophet, so I don't know what the future holds, but I don't think it'll be any stretch or surprise to you if I say that it's only going to become more difficult to be a Christian in our world. In other words, the the time is coming and in many ways is already here when to be a nominal Christian, that is a Christian in name only, well, that just won't be a thing. Who would want to be a Christian in name only? Because to be a Christian means to bear a cross and being prepared to lose some things in this world for Jesus' name. 
The time for comfortable Christianity is past. Now, we can spend time lamenting that fact, and many people do, or we can spend time preparing ourselves, preparing our families, and preparing our congregation. For instance, ask yourself, knowing who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God and the Lord of all creation, who has given his all for you, how then does that affect your life at home or at school or at work? How does that affect how you live with your family and how you spend time growing spiritually? How does that affect what choices you make or how you prioritize things in your life? Knowing Jesus, how does that affect us here at Christ our King and what we do? How does that affect how we spend our God-given time and money and energy and abilities that we have to share? We confess that Jesus is Lord. And so how is it that our lives are confessing the same even when it costs us something? To do so. Of course, none of us will do this perfectly. We all sin. We all fall short, far short. But we are always able to return to the place where we do, in fact, receive forgiveness from this same Jesus. We come to church as we are here this day and and we receive his word of grace. We receive the forgiveness pronounced to us. And so we are strengthened here by him. And so we go out then into our lives and we try again. And we come back and are forgiven once again. And this then is the Christian life. And we keep on doing this until the day when we are called heavenward or until the day when Christ returns again. One of the things that we'll be talking about in our voters meeting today is since we are blessed with the answer to the Jesus question, who is Jesus? We'll talk about what this means for us here at Christ our King, how we will try to encourage the continue to encourage the formation of an intentional community here at this church where our eyes are always fixed on him, a community where we receive what we need to live in a world that does not know Jesus, or worse yet, does not want to know Jesus. A community where even though we are surrounded by things in this world that are fleeting and transient, that we receive from him blessings that are truly eternal. So then back to the question, What do we do in the face of growing hostility and adversity in our world? Well, simply put, we confess Jesus and only Jesus. We confess our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We confess together as a community of believers who who every day we are growing together in our faith and strengthening one another. I think we'll realize, if we haven't already, I think we have, how important it is to have a community like this here at church. And so we foster that and we plunge ourselves into a community of believers who are gathered weekly around the word of Jesus together. Not shy away from it. Not because it's a burden to be here. This this is our joy to be together. To keep the life-giving word of Christ together and to make the bold confession of Jesus. 
And Jesus promises us, we heard it in our gospel, if anyone keeps my word, if anyone abides in my word, when you gather in my word, that person will never see death because we have eternal life. It's here in Jesus' church where we receive and celebrate and then go out and make known to others the answer to the question, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, uncreated, infinite, and almighty. Jesus is the one who before Abraham was, he is. And Jesus is your Savior, who has forgiven you all of your sins and leads you into eternal life. We joyfully follow him and confess his name to a world that needs to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.